All right. Thanks for coming on. Can you survive this podcast? Uh, Tony Cowden is a former Green Beret and a CIA contractor who has served in multiple combat deployments. And his he is the owner of Capable Incorporated and the co-founder of the nonprofit The Reason Outdoors. Tony, thank you for coming on. Can you survive this podcast? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that remains to be seen, whether or not I can survive it or not, but I certainly appreciate you having me, bro. <laughs> yeah, man, I am hyped to have you on. I'm hyped to talk about uh, mental health and uh, sort of all the various ways that people can uh, take care of themselves and take care of their mental health and uh, from spirituality to connecting with nature to working with plants and uh, all these sorts of things. I'm I'm, I'm very hyped to uh talk about with you yeah right but um maybe we can start with like just a very brief uh for the audience uh, like a little bit about your military background how'd you get into it and uh like a little of that stuff yeah well um you know my generation every generation has someone they have to to blame right so you know our generation it was all about blaming our parents um so i like to default back to that it was my dad's fault that i went in the military that i sought out going to special forces uh and and that blame rests solely on the fact that he let me watch rambo first blood when i was like eight or nine years old and you know rambo was you know obviously badass you know fighting the authoritative figure that were you know being mean to veterans and all that you know of course, that was a little deeper than anything I knew when I was that young. All I knew was the dude had a badass knife, made some cool booby traps in the woods, and, um, you know, obviously, you know, all that, you know, stitching himself up and all that. I was like, man, this this is where it's at, you know, these Green Berets, man. Um, so as a young pup uh, moving forward, you know, there was, there was just never a time where I entertained any of the other, uh, quote-unquote, cool guy units, right? Like, some guys, you know, see something when they're young about Carlos Hathcock and want to be a Marine Corps sniper or, you know, they, they hear something about what force reconnaissance did and the Raiders did in World War II and that's what they want to do or, you know, hear about the Rangers at Point du Hoc or Mogadishu or, or any of the many things they've done that were, you know, famous and awesome. Uh, same, you know, Delta, it doesn't matter, right? Like me, it was all about that that Rambo thing. And the funny thing was like, I never once thought that the green beret was the important part, right? Like it's to me, even to this day, I just joke that it's just, it's just a fucked up hat that <laughs> excuse my language is made out of wool. It's hot. doesn't keep the sun out of your eyes. Right. It's the most unpractical piece of equipment you'll ever be uh, issued in the military. Um, that wasn't what I was chasing. It was that, that, that Rambo is freaking, you know, in the woods, the survival, the, you know, that, that, uh, you, you know, that that absolute you know you, you won't stop you won't quit now of course in rambo it was a little <laughs> freaking uh uh you know fighting the police and all that kind of stuff that wasn't really that was you know as a kid that had nothing to do with it or anything like that it was just like man this dude went up in the mountains and with nothing just you know wreaked havoc and was just badass right they even say it in the movie so anyway i uh I went on, you know, man, freaking, we, we weren't, we were, we were kind of poor, especially when I was, you know, younger. I watched my dad bust his ass in the seafood industry, Eastern North Carolina. And when I say bust ass, man, to this day, I, I still don't know anybody that 
works harder or worked harder than that guy. I mean, gone before everybody was up. He would come in. We did have, you know, dinner at six o'clock, right? My mom had dinner on the table at six o'clock, some pretty traditional stuff there. And, you know, we were required to be there and you will eat your dinner, that type of stuff, you know? And, um, you know, he would come in, eat dinner and leave. And he would work, you know, under light during the wintertime and he would work till, you know, complete sundown, nighttime, all summer long, right? It's just, that was how he was. And, uh, you know, I like to think I got a little bit of that work ethic, um, but yeah, man, he really showed me and taught me, you know, I got to be there and in some ways even help as a young person and a young man grow that business from us just being poor, living in a trailer to, you know, middle class and, and you know, blue collar middle class or whatever. But um, so anyway, he was in the 82nd Airborne Vietnam guy, freaking that that world, you know, and he wanted something better for me, right? There was obviously this is um, mid uh, 1990s, yeah, 1990s, right? So um, I wanted to go in the military and he was all about go to college, go to college, you know? And uh, and then if you want to go in the military, go in the military. And that, that was from a place of him trying to look out for me, um, trying to trying to give me something better than what he did. I don't think he ever really viewed his time in the service as... I don't know. My dad was never a look back type of person. So he never really told me much about his service. Uh, he, he wasn't talking about it. What not because of, you know, trying to compartmentalize or anything like that. He's just not the type of dude to look to look back in the late sixties, early seventies when it's the mid eighties, right? He's got stuff to do for tomorrow, the next day, that sort of thing. Um, I like to think I got a little bit of that from him too. Uh, but anyway, he didn't, he he didn't want me to go in the military. And um, so I went to college for a little while. I joked that um, that I was enrolled at NC State, that I didn't actually attend NC State. Uh, you know, I was young, little buck, easily distracted by pretty girls, um, you know, like, like to party. Uh, I, I've talked about it plenty of times, man. You know, I, I was a bad kid. My mother died when I was, um, you know, in high school and, and still very much a, a young punk went down that route of, you know, hanging out with the bad kids and partying. And, and I say bad kids, man. I mean, it weren't like we were hurting anybody, but yeah, we were dabbling in some, you know, some weed and some cocaine and stuff like that. And I had an entrepreneur spirit spirit. So I got into, you know, selling it a little bit. Um, I, I had a very young age, I understood return on investment and, um, that sort of thing. And, um, so that led me to, uh, you know, I, I got arrested for possession of cocaine my senior year of high school. And um, luckily, some really good people that really respected my father um, were like, hey, either you never screw up again or you're going to prison. But this is it, right? You don't get another chance, right? This isn't, this, this is it, bro. You need to go to college and, pardon the pun, keep your nose clean <laughs> and, uh, you know, get your life on track, right? This is it. You get one chance and it's only because we know and love your father, right? It had nothing to do with me, right? Mm -hmm. 
So luckily, man, yeah, went on went on to college. Um, mostly quit messing around with drugs and stuff. Um, I, I got into ROTC in college, and so it gave me a reason to like PT and work out, and obviously about around a better crew. So as long as I stayed at college and didn't go home, you know, I was around people that um, mostly cared about some physical fitness. Of course, you know, partying on the weekends like any college kids, but um, people from very different backgrounds than myself, a little more upper middle class folks and stuff like that guys who their fathers had been military and in some cases generals colonels so guys with a slightly different upbringing than myself and it was a good mostly positive uh interaction that that gave me the ability to see you know to pick up my head and see further down the road that man there there's other options out there than just you know being you know crazy little redneck kid or whatever you know Hey everyone, I have a new 50% off promo code for you. It is CYSTP50 at factormeals.com. Factor sent me a bunch of no prep meals that I really enjoyed for my lunch. The Factor meals were a perfect solution for me for fast premium options with no cooking required. I strongly recommend giving them a try and I have a 50% off promo code if you do. Factor meals taste great and are no prep, no mess. So they're ready to heat and eat with no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. I also really enjoyed the wellness shots. Take advantage of this 50% off. Head to factormeals.com slash CYSTP50 and use code CYSTP50 to get 50% off. That's code CYSTP50 at factormeals.com slash CYSTP50 to get 50% off. So anyway, um, college was killing me, man. It just... I have a hard time sitting in a class. I'm partial dyslexic, freaking. I don't. I can't read that well, believe it or not, right? Um, so to sit in a in a class, list studying something that I'm not interested in, yeah, it it, it didn't work out <laughs> to say the least. I, I had decent grades, so I joke that I um withdrew from college, but or I fell out of college. I didn't. I had decent grades, you know, mostly B's, some A's, and stuff. Um. It just wasn't for me. So I met this dude in college who was um, a uh, an SF guy, and he was going green to gold or uh, enlisted to officer. So he was in the ROTC program there. And he started telling me you know, about SF and this and that. And I was like, hey, bro, his name was Jason. I was like, Jason, her name is Jason. So, hey, man, you know what? I, I think I'm done with college. And he helped me greatly get on that path to – a a shorter cut a better a much better path to becoming an sf guy through the national guard um than if i had gone active duty and it was like it's still a really awesome way to get into special forces you get to bypass some of the army bullshit to say the least um so yeah man like on a tuesday of a spring semester my (laughs) second year third year college yeah third year college actually um i uh I withdrew and went down to the recruiter's office and signed all the paperwork. And I think it was like three months later, I was in basic training. So um, that went pretty cool, you know, basic, all that stuff, jump school, everything was cool. Um, when it came time to go to selection, I actually had like a selection date, I don't know, in like May of 97, I think it was. Yeah, 97. And, um, my one of the guys who had that slot or excuse me 
so I, I had a May slot. Uh, another guy in the unit had a March slot, and he broke his tib fib on a um, on a jump. So I get this call. Hey, man, um, you ready to go to selection? I don't really know the answer to that question, right? I'm a youngin. Uh, I just finished airborne school. They sent me to what's called PLDC. It's like a a, a class to uh, so you can get promoted from E3, E4 to E5 or whatever. And I was in that class, and it was is not hard, uh, not a physically demanding. I hadn't put a rucksack on and really done any ruck marching since before basic training. So you're talking like six months prior, and they're all like, "You want to go to selection?" And of course. As a young guy, I'm not going to say no. Uh, you know, you don't want to miss that opportunity. Uh, and I'm like, yes, absolutely. When? They're like, next month, in two weeks. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I think I worked much like every night or something, you know, leading up to that. And uh, I actually look back and I'm like, had I had those additional two months to train for selection, I probably would have overdone it and gone to selection already busted and broke down, you know. Mm. I went fresh fresh and young and dumb um back then i think a lot of my toughness was you know directly linked to dumbness <laughs> you know uh so i made it through selection first time go you know it's like okay cool uh got a q course date special forces school date i wanted to go to the medical course my intent was to go to the medical course and then either go to medical school uh or pa school i was very interested in the whole medical world back then and that sort of thing and um so i got slotted for the medical course a couple months later i was in the racing dirt bikes motocross and i broke my femur and um two ribs my arm my collarbone and, and one failed you know one failed uh or over jump triple uh i crashed hard man it, it was it was it was it was it was a rough one uh you know like third gear wide open on a on a cr250 and uh you know, for guys who have ever thrown their leg over one, they know what that means, man. It, it was it was a rough, rough crash. Um, yeah. Uh, when my my buddy, to put in perspective, when I crashed, I thought I hurt my knee, and uh, I was trying to get off the track. I was in second place, so I knew there was a bunch of bikes coming. You know, and I'm landing in the middle of this track on the other side of a berm, on the other side of a, a landing berm. And I knew these guys weren't going to be able to see me until they were in the air. You know, I mean, at that point, you're getting hit. Well, long story short, luckily the caution guys, you know, the 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 race official dudes, like, got guys to stop. They didn't jump the jump and stuff and rolled past me. But I couldn't get my helmet off. It was like I thought the dirt bike was laying on my arm, and uh, so I couldn't reach my helmet. I was trying to get off the the track, but you know, I was in a lot of pain and couldn't really figure out what was going on. It was my boot and leg laying across my arm oh damn yeah my femur was broken my left leg and oh. my left foot was laying up here my buddy said when he rounded the berm he could see the top of my helmet and the bottom of my foot oh and, my god yeah and he was a good old boy um oh god man what a great guy i got in mel hardy man sadly he got killed uh he got hit on, a, on his harley and um, died from a, a motorcycle accident. Great guy, man. Just a good old country redneck boy. Um, his son raced, and so he always helped keep my um, dirt bike maintained and that kind of stuff, spin the wrenches for the bikes. Um, anyway, long story short, man, he's just a great guy. And uh, But he was like, yeah, when I saw that, man, he's like, I stopped in my tracks. 
He's like, I almost threw up. He's like, I had never seen anybody twisted up like that in my life. Um, Yeah. So anyway, obviously that pushed my uh, attendance to the Q course. Uh, It took me a a year of rehab to really get back. Um, And even then, when I showed up to the Q course, I was still limping, still a little funny. And I used to joke that like on these long distance lamb nab courses, I'm going to have to shoot my azimuth to the right because I'm definitely going to track to the left, (laughs) you know, this busted leg. (laughs) So uh luckily man you know the the biggest thing that it affected is i didn't go to the medical course because of that time that i lost that full year that i lost in my mind i didn't have that time you know towards my goals so i requested you know hey can i go to the the charlie course when the charlie courses are engineer and demolitions uh explosive school and uh they switched me over. It's a much shorter course, but like the medical course is almost two years long, whereas the um, all said and done, the explosive course, the actual just that course is only a few months long, but it shortens the entirety of the special forces school um, from like a medical course that would be almost two years long down to just over a year. So lost a year and then decided to go to a shorter course. Had it not been for switching, I would have not. I would have still been in language school when 9-11 happened. Um, and I would have missed the initial push in the Afghanistan. Wow. So it's kind of funny, man. I joke throughout my career that there's these injuries that I had, uh, these, in, you know, these instances where I got hurt that changed the trajectory of my career. And in every single case, for the better. Yeah. It's the weirdest shit, right? I broke my back in 2005, and I thought I was going in this direction. And, you know, almost like six months in a wheelchair and, you know, another six months of real hard rehab and all that stuff that, you know, he said, you're not going to walk again, that sort of thing. Um, and, and so that injury changed the trajectory of my career. And that's when I left the military and started doing stuff um, for the federal government. So anyway, long story short, man, that that was kind of my path to the military. Uh, you know, 9-11 happened we were doing like a, um, what we call a red cell where, um, special operations and other support elements basically challenged the United States government, some facility, some, um, organization or some command and control element or something like that. And we were doing that on nine 11. I um, heard, we, yeah, I heard that story. I wanted, when you brought up nine 11, I wanted to ha- have you talk about that. So for the audience who may not know, and I actually just learned about this when I was getting ready for this interview, so let me tell me if I'm wrong here. A red cell, that's basically like you're kind of like you're in the military and you're like war gaming against our own military right. without without them knowing it to see to poke holes and right. to figure out where where our weaknesses are. That's right. This is exactly what it is. And and it can be as something as simple as challenging physical security like checkpoints, getting onto a, a base or a facility, or you know, something you know, far, far um, more complex. Mm-hmm. And um, and this was a more complex thing. This is a, a program that had been going on for 20, 30 years prior, uh, and it was all about challenging the nuclear command and control. Um, and, you know, facilities, tracking different assets. Um, it, it, it's a huge, huge operation. And it was so compartmentalized that for almost six months, right, I didn't talk to any of my teammates. I didn't see them. It was old school, like spy tradecraft where it was, um, 
we could communicate by text, but you're talking about, you know, 01 flip phones. Yeah. Um, and, One, and two, back three, then, ABC. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you're talking to like the only person I text message with was like my, my cell leader. And I knew I had other cell members that were reporting to him, but we, we didn't cross paths. Well, we crossed paths. We just never talked. We never saw each other. We communicated with like old school dead drops. Uh, where you so like, you didn't even know who was on your team. Not at all. You could pass right by him. You, you wouldn't even know. And, and we did. We were in these same towns looking at the same targets. Um, you know, when I, one time I lost our, our convoy. Uh, it was a, a land convoy with a Air Force general with a suitcase with one of the little footballs. And um, uh, we lost them. I lost them. And accidentally kind of, I, I picked them up. I went on top of this overpass. I'm out in Oklahoma where you can see for miles upon miles upon miles. And uh, way, way over in the distance, I can see at like two in the morning, a convoy of six or eight trucks. And I was like, ha, gotcha. Now I got to figure out how to get to you. And so I picked them back up. And, you know, so of course I would report that up to my cell leader. And that's how the other team guys and, and gals come to find out. Um moved from like nebraska to oklahoma to come you know catch up otherwise had i not accidentally seen this convoy we'd have lost them and we'd have been um out of the game if you would uh so anyway i mean it was cool but yeah man on 9 11 we were fully operational against these assets and these assets are protected by you know units with real bullets so your mission is like to, to like track this guy down basically like to track down like a high up like commander in the military and see where the weakness is and him being defended. Exactly. Yeah. And ultimately, my task was to uh, take a picture of him uh, inside 400 meters, I think it was, and it would count as a sniper shot. Okay. And so and, on 9 11, you're, you're basically stalking this guy, trying to yeah. snap a picture from 400 yards, you said? Yeah. yeah. And, and they had gone to this old uh, National Guard post out in the middle of nowhere oklahoma and um i had spent most of the night crawling i went down to walmart bought like some leafy flage you know that the the walmart mosquito net uh ghillie suit thing you know and um so i had some uh some, some um you know leafy flage some walmart camouflage and crawled and crawled all night long or you know numerous hours throughout the night up just like little concrete drainage ditch so like I'm getting scuffed up, you know, <laughs> and the the sun's starting to come up, man. And I'm, I, I see them all go from really chill, like they had been every other time I had, you know, watched them or observed them. And then all of a sudden, man, uh, they had a platoon of Marines. All of a sudden, man, it was obvious their security posture changed. I mean, they started putting magazines in and I'm like, hmm, they're not looking at me. You know, I'm not compromised. I know it. No one's seen me. I'm not even close enough to get compromised. And I was like, huh, 9-11 had just happened, right? Those planes had just hit the first tower. I didn't know. Uh, so I got a text message that basically said, hey, you know, abort, move to this motel, like old, you know, ranch style, one story, side of the road motel, right? And um, I text back like, "Hey, I'm good. I'm not compromised. Freaking, they've obviously changed their security posture, but I'm I'm good to stay in place." The answer was, 
abort now, right? Like basically like all capital letters, you know? Uh, (laughs) All right, well, so I crawled my ass out in a hurry, as hurry as I could be. Uh, Would have taken numerous hours to crawl in. I think took less than an hour to crawl out. And even then I wasn't taking it seriously, right? Like they changed their patrols. Uh, the Marines were patrolling the Air Force security guys. I think they call them Ravens or something like that. Like they're the guys that protect assets and um, planes and, and stuff like that. And people, they're uh, security guys. But anyway, I was like, whatever. So we get, um, get back to the rental car that I'd stacked, like in this little drainage ditch culvert or whatever. <laughs> and uh, uh, go down, drive, you know, how many ever miles to this hotel, this little motel. And, dude, there's, like, 20, 25 rental cars in the parking lot of this little tiny-ass hotel. And I'm like, what the, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's a couple guys outside. I pull up, and they're like, uh, yeah, man, go ahead in there. And there's this little tiny hotel room, and it is packed full. People leaning up against walls, people sitting on the counters. You know, like, this hotel room is full of people, a lot of them that look a lot like me, and then just other types of folks, females. I had no idea how big this program actually was. And we were just a tiny component of it on our end. I mean, it was worldwide or is worldwide. As far as I know, it's it's still, if not, if it's not the same active program, then something similar is still going on. Um, and that's, red, that's, red... that's wild that you, it was nine 11 when you were in field doing this work. And when, yeah. he, when he said abort now, like, you were probably in fucking danger. <laughs> I mean, if those Marines had have seen me, I mean, yeah, they they probably would have had authorization to shoot. Uh, we had like get out of jail free cards, like call this colonel. Uh, yeah. So hopefully, I would have been able to uh, present that card. You know, they might would have you know muzzle thumped me or you know put their boots in my ass a little bit or something like that because I was quote unquote trespassing on a, a government facility. So wild. Yeah. You know, who knows what could have happened Uh, on the program guys have been compromised before and arrested. Uh, It it didn't happen on when we were doing it, but the year before they told us about this horror story where a guy actually knew uh, um, basically when he got arrested, faked a heart attack because he's still in the game. So they took him to the hospital and so he escaped. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and it caused a lot of issues. Uh, he was like, once you're captured, like, you're supposed to be like, here's my card. right? Or if you're detained, you give up your card, you're out of the game. Right? Yeah. Well, he was in it. <laughs> he was he in was, it. You know? He was in it to win it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, anyway, uh, none of that happened with us. Nobody got rolled up. Nobody got hurt, which was, you know, luck- luckily, I think. Or, or at least... Um, a testament to the safety backstops that were in place because yeah. no one imagined, right. How could anyone imagine that, you know, no shit, we're going to get, have a, a, a real attack on American soil while this, this game is being played. Yeah. Um, so the contingencies work, nobody got hurt. Nobody got rolled up. Um, and yeah, man, I walk into that hotel room and on that TV, that little rinky dink TV is is just on repeat, man. And then, of course, the second tower uh, had already been hit. I, I think by the time I got there, the, the Pentagon had also already been hit. So everybody's just like, holy shit. We've got guys and gals from military installations 
all over, you know, so all of a sudden everybody's trying to figure out, you know, how do I get back to Bragg? How do I get back to Campbell? How do I get back to Fort Carson? And uh, we were closest to Fort Carson. Uh, of course, you know, that's, that's where like, you know, Cheyenne mountain and all that kind of stuff is, you know, so the air force package actually, you know, we were all in talking at that point, or at least our, our, the folks in charge of us were talking to the, the air force asset that we were looking at. They actually asked us, they said, hey, if you've got guys going to Carson, would you come with us? Would you, you know, be, become part of our, you know, front and back escorts? Um, we were unarmed or whatever, but, you know, a little bit of extra eyes. So they worked us into their op plan and, and their security plan, and we, quote, unquote, helped, you know, uh, escort them to Fort Carson, Colorado. Mm-hmm. And at, there, over the next day or so, different military planes, because they grounded air traffic, right? Um, different military planes were authorized to go, you know, get us and, and other people around the world and make sure they were where they were supposed to be, these emergency flights or whatever. And we weren't necessarily like a big priority or anything. So within a couple of days, um, I remember like, you know, the unit guys, right, the Delta Force guys that were there, you know, they they disappeared immediately. <laughs> you know, they were they were on flights back to North Carolina like right then. Um, and then, you know, throughout that hierarchy, we were all, you know, returned to our own bases. It was um, it was so surreal, you know, um, and um, you know, as a young little trooper, you know, I mean, it's weird to say this, but you know, young little troopers will get this. The average civilian doesn't always understand, but like when you when you train for war, you kind of want to go to war, uh, and and warriors want war, and it's it you know you don't sound like some kind of crazy person, but as a young man, it was like all right. You know, we're definitely going to war over this shit, you know. Um, where are we going? <laughs> you know, like, who are we fighting this time? Yeah. Uh, so, of course, you know, a few months later, a couple, actually weeks later, I guess it would be, um, you know, we were in, we had, you know, the, the FOB in both Uzbekistan and the FOB set up in Pakistan. And um, I wanted everything I could do to get there. You know, I was, I was, I was, since I was so new, I wasn't, I had not been on a, an, on a special forces team very long. And I was kind of in a, in a holding spot on the team that I was on. And I had been in the process of going to another team. So during this whole thing, all that was happening with me. I had a lot of uncertainty. I was just this new guy that like a lot of guys didn't even know um, because instead of being in, you know, on the teams, I would been the last six months, you know, uh, out doing this program. So anyway, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty for me during this time. So we, we get to Uzbekistan, to the FOB and stuff, and I get assigned to the other team, and we are, you know, placed in Afghanistan, man. Freaking. So here I am, this young, dumb, you know, right off the freaking street, right off the Q course, really, you know, and, you know, the the first war of my generation had just kicked off, you know. So yeah. that's kind of the... You know, how it got started, how my dad um, obviously, you know, did things to make me become a uh, <laughs> to drop out of college and <laughs> join the army. Um, yeah. That's kind of how I, how I got there. You know, I uh, I really relate to um, a couple of things in your story, even though I, I wasn't in the military, but um, the importance of mentors and like a strong father figure in your life um that really resonated with me and uh i actually i'll tell you a little bit of personal thing about me i actually got arrested when i was 16 too (laughs) and uh 
just for weed though which in 2023 is like fucking crazy but uh right right like you got arrested for what yeah (laughs) but i will say that everybody's um, grandma smokes weed these days (laughs) exactly uh it's ridiculous but my i had a very similar i was really relating to what you were saying where my dad really was like okay you fucked up but here's the things you're gonna do you're gonna do this community service you're gonna like like all the there's like a whole list of shit you gotta do and uh i'm really it was hard at the time but i'm really grateful for him and uh i think having a strong father figure really like got me through that and kept me onto the path that i needed to be on as opposed to going in the other direction right man i tell you man you know my dad wasn't perfect by any means he was a good man right like by all accounts all accords he was a good man uh he helped people he helped the community he was one of those guys like I saw something the other day that said, you know, you don't want to be the type of person that has people. You want to be the type of, as a man, right? You want to be the type of person that people call you their people. In other words, you're that beast of burden in the community, right? When, um, when somebody dies, right, in the community. You're you're there to console the family. You're going to be a pallbearer at their funeral. Or if somebody needs help changing a tire, right? Maybe not that extreme, right? Uh, and, and, and to be honest with you, I was thinking of my father and my uncle. They were those guys in our community, right? Uh, and, and not just them. Another couple of fellows, right? The, these, that core group of men um, that in our community, our neighborhood, right? I, I think social media has definitely ruined the... Um, the definition of community, right? Yeah, I grew up I in a, I grew up in a community where if I drove my four wheeler across, you know, Bruce Spain's nice groomed grass, right? Bruce Spain could give me an ass whooping, <laughs> you know, right? Uh, as a as a young person, right? That type of community. We all went to church together. All the ladies um, cooked and made these dinners, you know, church dinners and stuff together. You know that that southern. Uh, that Southern church thing, right? Uh, community. Yeah. So my dad was that type of guy. My uncle's that type of guy, right? Where, like I said, man, they, they've carried many a, a, a casket to a funeral as pallbearers. They're, they're, if, you know, I, I remember my, my, my cousin was, was killed by a drunk driver. She was on her way home late night. She was older than me, probably 10 years older than me, eight, nine years older than me. And she was uh, working as a waitress and was driving home late one night got hit head on by a, um, uh, a drunk driver. Um, her father calls my uncle to go with him to identify her body. That's the type of person who doesn't have people, but people like them to be their people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and so to me as, as a man, right, like you're going to be alone in, in many ways. You know, uh, you're, you're as that strong mentor, man, guy, right? Military, that strong, badass team sergeant, sergeant major. Um, and they're far and few and far between these days. But that that mentor, you know, that, that dude that folks look up to, that guy's rarely going to have many friends. Um, he's not going to have a, a tribe necessarily, right? Uh, he's going to be the dude that, whether you need to borrow, you know, a cup of sugar or, you know, you need somebody to help fix the fence or <laughs> name it, 
He's yeah. the guy that the neighborhood calls on and he never calls on someone else. And if it yeah. does, it's like a onesie twosie, right? And that's how that's how both my dad and my uncle uh were, you know. And um I, I before we got on, we were talking about, you know, seals and stuff, and we made a joke about the or I made a joke about seals and writing books. I have actually written a book. Um oh, yeah? Yeah, so and I'm not trying to push it here because it's it's not in published or anything like that. One day maybe I will. I need to stop dragging my ass. But it's uh probably started writing it like six, seven years ago. <clears throat> but it's not like a cool war stories book or anything like that. It's um I actually tentatively have named it with both eyes open. Kind of a play on shooting with both eyes open, right? So you see more, right? Um, and it is a, a handbook for young males who wish to become good men. That is tentatively the title. title. Uh, and it's everything from don't finance a, a Rolex, you know. Don't come home from Afghanistan and finance a three-quarter three ton, $80,000 pickup truck, private, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Uh, <clears throat> relationship advice. And, and it's all my lessons learned, right? It's not like a necessarily a um, – it's not necessarily like I'm like, hey, these are steadfast rules. These are what, these are my stories. These are my lessons learned, right? You need physical, mental, spiritual, and financial health. And young people in America today, especially young males, have all this different, um, all this different and, and contradictory sources of information that is nonstop to them. Yeah. Um, you know, you can finance anything these days. Like I saw something the other day. I've just been paying attention to it more. I think uh, because of the holidays and stuff and re-upping some um, subscriptions or whatever. I noticed that on these, uh, you know, during your checkout online, you can finance anything. You know, like, hey, make turn this $50 purchase into three, you know, twenty. Two dollar payments, like wait a second, twenty two times three—that doesn't even add up. But interest, right? <laughs> and I'm like, wow, man, you can really finance anything. So you know, um, long story short, man, the, the book has all these different chapters about different stuff, lessons I learned, and one of them is a chapter about being that beast of burden, yeah. right? Being that 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 guy who's never people are never going to be there for him, you know, because he'll never ask. But he'll always be the guy that gets asked, that guy. And and I dedicated that chapter to my uncle because it's very much. My uncle's, a, hell, he's 80 years old, man. He just got done harvesting soybeans. Uh, dude's got heart problems. Uh, a couple of years ago, dude was picking corn, harvesting corn, had a heart attack. Um, and instead of, like, stopping, he kept harvesting corn until the ambulance got there. Oh my and they were God. like, yeah, right? <laughs> and it wound up, he was so bad off that they actually airlifted him to the medical school here at Eastern Carolina University. Um, dude was almost dead. And so when they asked him like, hey man, why didn't you stop? And he was like, well, I knew the ambulance was gonna take 10 or 12 minutes to get here. And he's like, what else was I was gonna do? Oh my <laughs> you God. Know? That type of guy, right? Like what yeah. a hard ass, you know? Um, but also one of the most kind, uh, amazing men I've ever met. Um, and I was lucky to have him and he's not, uh, he married my mother's, um, uh, sister. So he's not my blood relative, but he's as close to blood as any 
person I've ever had. So I was lucky to have both of those guys in my world and then other guys in that community, my father and his friends, you know, so I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily raised by one man. Well, yes, my father was the the guy that was there every day and he was mostly there, you know, um, I wouldn't say always mentally, <laughs> you know, he was always working, whether he was sitting at the dinner table or working. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't a hugs and kisses type guy necessarily. Uh, he did. He would say, I love you to us. Um, he was exponentially harder on me than my two sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's pretty well documented. Uh, even they would agree with that statement. He was, he was rough on me. Um, not physically per se. Yeah. I mean, he and I got into it a couple times, uh, yeah. after the arrest. Yeah. And I, you know, he was at that time, I think I was like a buck 60 bucks, 65. And he's like two ten. Um, I finally grew up to be about his size and, you know, he let me have it, but I deserved every bit of it. You know, um, in this day and age, he could have gone to jail, if not prison for the tiny little ass whooping that he put on me that night. Um, but I deserved it, man. Holy shit. I deserved it. And probably way more, you know, probably way more. Yeah. And, um, so anyway, you know, I was lucky to have that man. And, and, and that was part of the reason I, I wrote that, you know, the book and, and need to finish writing the book is because man, let's face it, dude, these, these young guys in America today, their, their fathers and the mentor type figures that they should have had dropped the ball. You know, yeah. it's bad, man. It's bad. You know, how many, even, even fathers that, that stayed with their families have given up so much of that, their role to women, uh, in this whole modern liberal, modern feminist movement. And and it went too far, right? Like clearly we needed to give women far better representation and, um, and and rights, right? Things were not equal. They, They didn't have equal opportunities. Right. That's pretty well documented. Right. Um, And and we needed to fix that. But that pendulum started swinging and it went way over there, (laughs) you know. And so now we've got all these young guys who, man, are frankly craving on like a genetic level men or, 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 you know, that, that strong male mentor, that strong male um, influence in their lives. And it took me a little bit of while to realize that in some cases, some of those guys were looking at me for some of that. Cause I mean, obviously I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a, a spring chicken anymore. Um, uh, even though I, in my mind, I still think I'm like 30. Uh, I forget that I am the old guy now I'm, I'm, I'm the gray beard. Uh, <laughs> and, and so therefore, once I realized that I was starting to take on a little bit of that role uh, for guys, whether it be on social media or guys, nearby um i through capable incorporated and our range i own two different ranges here uh, like a pistol and carbine range and then a a long long range um what part of the world are you in or what part of the country yeah so we're in north carolina um uh, basically right between raleigh and wilmington cool and um you know not too far off i-40 and so i started doing internships where basically it's like hey man you can come out here you get free range you can take all our classes uh, we'll do some work together. You'll learn how to weld and who knows what else, right? It'll be fun. Uh, and, um, 
you know, it was at that point that I started really realizing that, that these guys weren't coming necessarily to learn how to weld or to have a free range membership. They were looking for some type of positive mentorship, some type of positive influence. And, and in, in many of the cases, I mean, they have good, solid dads. Um, just I was so different than their fathers that they were looking for something. Uh, in one guy's case, you know, his, his dad's an amazing dude, um, not a military guy. But for some reason, this guy wanted to be a military guy. He came, became an intern, um, then became a full-time employee uh, with no military training or whatever. He got so good at shooting, and, and, and he's just a, a well-spoken guy. Uh, he's, I started having him help me teach. Um, not that you need to be a military guy by any means to teach how to shoot, right? But, but in, in our space, a lot of times, right, if you're hiring capable incorporated, you think, you know, I'm, I'm going to get some shooter-type training from a special forces guy. This dude's a civilian, <laughs> you know, just that. Well, you know, so my interns, my point to that is like, you know, I, I have taken on that role, whether I, I meant to or not. Um, Melissa and I don't have children. Um, so here I am raising these, <laughs> you know, helping uh, raise these young guys. And um, whether I wanted it or not, and, and it, it it's like I joke that, yeah, I raise, you know, I'll, I'll raise Rangers and SF guys. Long story short, that guy is now in the Special Forces school. He went oh, wow. to selection and he's become the closest thing I've had to a little brother. Um, hell, he just went uh, hunting with me in Idaho. You know, um, he just had his uh, first baby, you know, beautiful, beautiful little daughter, daughter Mer Meredith. So, you know, anyway, the whole point of that is like, you know, realizing that mentorship comes with some sort of responsibility, you know, yeah. I, like I, 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 I have to be professional. I have to be, uh, set the standards, you know, exceed, exceed expectations, all those things. Right. You know? Um, and, and it was, it was honestly kind of weird because I mean, social media was weird to me in the first place. Heck, I didn't have my own personal social media accounts until like 14 or 15. Um, just because of, you know, working for the government, I didn't need any social media accounts. Um, so anyway, yeah, man, you know, it kind of sucks, man. These, uh, the, the, you know, the modern liberal experiment has, I mean, castrated figuratively and in some cases, <laughs> literally, men, you know, or at least young males. Um, and there's a distinction, right? Uh, and I make that distinction that a, a man is a responsible, mature male, right? Male being a biological thing. And we have all these young males in America that have no clue how to become good men. And, um, you know, I don't know that, that that's going to solve itself anytime soon, but, you know, guys who have the potential of being that beast of burden to being that mentor to being that that center of a community, they need to step up. They have to step up. You yeah, know? It's, I think it's it's really great that you're kind of building a, a community and um, I'm grateful to hear that you that you're doing that. And I think there's probably more people um, around the country that are hopefully doing that as well, building a community, being a mentor, being a, a strong uh, male figure in, in young right. people's lives. Hope, I hope your book comes out one day. Yeah, I got to get serious about that. Um, you know, it's mostly written, been proofed and edited. I've got a couple other chapters that I want to want to write um, to add to it just because of the way things have progressed over the last couple of years and lessons learned. I, I've learned so much even in the last few years. Um, so anyway, yeah, would, man. Would you ever, 
would you ever do a book about any of your uh middle east uh afghanistan stories yeah i mean i guess i might would i mean i guess it's weird right like uh, i was talking to jocko one time right i had just done his podcast we were chatting it's back um uh so I, I don't know i don't i don't know if we mentioned this or not i ran for congress mm-hmm. um <laughs> and so it was really cool um jp dino who works for jocko um friend of mine uh he put me in touch with jocko and jocko was like yeah hell yeah so we had a really cool talk and stuff and uh it was funny because at the end we were joking about his book and i was like eh sorry bro never read it <laughs> you know and he kind of was like i get that right like my style of leadership and your style of leadership is going to be pretty pretty similar because military and uh you know so it's like in my head the war stories are back there right they're they're behind me um what matters more is what's in front of me i mean i'm i'm a little closer to 50 now than i am to 40 uh but i mean i could easily have another 30 years you know if you know knock on wood <laughs> maybe 20 all right so maybe i'm, I'm curious less. this may be like a little bit of a hard pivot but i'm curious um because before we started the interview we talked about plant medicines and uh like sort of healing modalities through psychedelic plants i'm just very curious when you ran for congress was this before or after you had uh worked with psychedelic plants after um no excuse me i I ran before uh you know i mean i had purposefully over the last 10 years or so that like uh microdosing psilocybin and stuff had become popular you know joe rogan and and that whole world um but i purposely kept blinders on right like it's that can't be part of my life right now so i was like la 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 i don't want to hear about how awesome microdosing psilocybin is or how great uh psychedelics and plant medicines can be for us and when i say us i mean people not special operators or something like that like exactly yeah. um i didn't want like i, I purposely buried my head, head in the sand because i kind of like knew me like if i got interested in it and it was awesome and i knew dudes that i trusted who were doing it uh you know i just purposely had to, had to keep my mind away from that world uh so yeah when i made a decision to run for congress you know it was um it was what a shit show Excuse my language, man. I, I learned so much about politics, politicians, and even more so the the back side, the dark side of politics, the um, local level Republican Party, uh, all the way to like the consultants, the po- political consultants for candidates. It is it is the most gross industry I've ever been exposed to. Gross. Yeah. Uh, the the people who are interested in politics, don't get me wrong, a lot of great people, right? So if if you know the folks who who helped me and supported me, man, they they were so many awesome people. But like on the other side, I was challenging a Republican, um, an incumbent who is not very conservative, um, doesn't not from Eastern North Carolina, doesn't understand North Carolina. <clears throat> He's a medical doctor, a surgeon who ha- definitely has a you know, one of those surgical, you know, surgeons complexes or whatever. Long story short, man, they treated me with the utmost disrespect. 
Wow. I came in basically saying, I think I can do a better job than you. Because I'm from here. I grew up here. You're part I'm of the community. I, I know these people. I, I know the fishermen. I know farming. I know this world. I know what it's like to be a poor redneck kid. This dude, nothing like that, right? The opposite of everything I am and, and, and was. I basically came in and said, <clears throat> sorry, uh, my, my dog Charlie can get jealous of me talking to a phone. Um, hey, buddy, settle. Um, so the the amount of disrespect came out of that man, you know, you would think, hey, buddy, I'm going to just put him out. Okay. Squirrels. Oh, good. Got to go, gotta go chase the squirrels. Uh yeah, man. Uh, and, and, you know, his name's you know, Greg Murphy. Um, and I won't call him a representative because he does not represent Eastern North Carolina. He doesn't care about Eastern North Carolina. Like, you know, election season's coming up. So all of a sudden he cares about Marines at Camp Lejeune. Whereas before I came along, dude, that dude, he didn't give a shit, you know. Uh, so anyway, the amount of disrespect that came out of him and his camp towards me um I just couldn't believe it. I was like, I thought we would be two dudes kind of like, we'll get together, let's let's debate, and then, you know, the best man wins. Uh, this dude, man, like, he called me a liar, uh, you know, and never never in the same place. I mean, this, this coward, this spineless political opportunist wouldn't debate me. But he would say things about how I'm just a dumb knuckle dragger, you know, a, a thug military guy. It was like, all this disrespect towards military members uh, and, and military members could have discerned this because of the way he treated me, right? His true opinion of us lowly peasant military guys uh, really came out in the way he and his camp treated me. Um, he had this former army officer, female, um, a miserable person, uh, just a, a big old, big old girl. Right. And you know, people don't, like to hear this, but I have yet to meet an obese person that's not miserable, right? And she was just miserable and mean. Um, she started like a women's against Tony Cowden freaking <laughs> Facebook page and shit like that. Wow. And it was like, hey, I just am offering my service to my people. I would like to sit down with the congressman because he's not a representative. And let's just debate it and let the people of Eastern North Carolina know, man, they... They spent $800,000 on negative TV and campaign uh, and radio ads in the last four weeks of the campaign on, against me. That's crazy. $800,000. Dude, we didn't even raise $800,000, but because he's part of that uh, Republican establishment, he had that kind of money, you know? He's um, part of the machine. Exactly. Um, you know, a, a McCarthy loyalist through that whole mess, he supported McCarthy. Um, and, and there's no doubt in my mind, if McCarthy told him to get on his knees, Greg Murphy would get on his knees. Wow. <laughs> right. That type of politician, just spineless, no moral compass. Um, just they got dirty with me, man. And I straight up told them, I was like, look, I don't play like this. You know, this is not how I, I play. You know, you guys want to get personal and want to be mean. Well, you know what? We can go out behind the dumpster and sort this out. Right. And nobody wants to talk like that. Like, oh, my God, that's so mean. And that's like, no, man, when you start attacking someone personally, Right. Because that's yeah. all they had. I mean, what else could you possibly right? Like I had a service record, um, you know, a, a, a lifetime of 
serving our government and, and you know whatever you know if you want to say that anyway man like people treat these goofball dork politicians and they are man they are slim-wristed beta you know they're not leaders they're there's just they're slime balls right and i know that's a, a very broad statement and maybe there are two or three on capitol hill that aren't um I would say Eli Crane, Navy SEAL, freaking is he about the only person up there that still has a spine and moral compass. Um, the rest of them, you know, I, I don't know. Um, but what, for the year, most part, what year was this that you ran? So uh, it, it was running for the uh, 2022s, the midterms. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, I don't know a ton about politics. I'll admit to you, I'm, I'm not a super political person, but good for you. <laughs> my, yeah, I find it, it's a little too heavy on my, my system to get yeah. the deep, the deeper I get, the more I'm like, Oh God, this is, yeah. this is not good. But um, my personal opinion as like a very layman's kind of outsider to the whole thing is a lot. I, there's so many people in it that appear to have sold out to themselves that, when people say, oh, they're a sellout, I I look at it as like they sold out to make themselves richer or more powerful Absolutely. rather than the community that they're supposed to represent. And I think we well, need to, just like we were saying about mentors, I think the world needs to start shifting to a more community-based mindset and people that represent the actual community where they are from is something that's I, really important in my opinion. I challenge each and every listener viewer of this podcast to excuse me go on their representatives facebook page or instagram page and look at their last five posts and see if even one of them has anything do with, to do with something that they are working on or have worked on that will benefit their district or the people of their district if you go on any of these so-called representative pages right now, you will see stuff about Israel. You will see stuff about Iran. You will see stuff about, you know, foreign policy. Congressmen and senators have absolutely zero authority in foreign policy, right? The Constitution gives them nothing. The only thing they get to do is appropriate and approve funding, right, uh, for the executive branch foreign policy. You've got these guys, they're like war experts now. I look at our so-called reps and he's like, you know, ah, Israel, Israel, Israel. And, you know, you know we got to support Ukraine. And, you know, it's like, and then you go to uh, the FEC website or to opensecrets.org. You can look up all their donors. And it's like, wow. Look, oh, look, Raytheon. Oh, yep, yep. There's Northrop Grumman. Max contributions. Yeah. Right. That is not a coincidence, right? There's no such thing as a coincidence, right? I don't think – I am fairly certain the universe doesn't do coincidences, right? It is not a coincidence that the people who give money to these politicians freaking also get support of policies and legislation that support those donors. That is not a fucking coincidence. Um, it's called corruption, yeah, man, and I'm, you know, and I'm all for like peace and safety for all people around the world. But when, uh, when the people who are in power are standing to gain profit from wars happening, that's it. It's a really dangerous situation that we're in. 
Yeah, we, we created after World War II, especially after Korea, we created a military industrial complex that is insatiable, has an appetite. If they're not producing new weapons, they're not making money, right? If we're just stockpiling weapons and sitting on it, that military industrial complex is not making money. And, you know, like I said, not a coincidence. Um, you know, it, it, I challenge people to look up uh, the easiest way, right? The FEC, Federal Election um, Committee's uh, website. You can look up every donation to and from a politician. A lot of people don't know this. With your campaign fund as a politician, you can get to other campaign funds, right? So that is how they trade money. That is how our representatives and our senators trade money amongst each other. Right. Because they can't gift each other anything. Right. But they can trade max contributions to their each uh, individual campaigns and then also to their uh, political action committees. Right. They made their own rules. Right. So one of the big things was it was challenged in court in our Supreme Court said basically corporations can donate to politicians. You think they weren't lobbied to do that. Right. Corporations are not voting entities. How can they legally be allowed to contribute to campaign funds? They are. Well, you know why? How is it? How did that ever happen? Because the people who made it legal <laughs> stand to benefit from it. Um, individual human being contributions to political um, political candidates in the United States is a fraction of corporate corporate contributions. I, I like to point out to people with like with Greg Murphy, you know, he's like, I'm a conservative, I'm a conservative, I'm a conservative. Uh, he pretends like, you know, he's a God-fearing guy or whatever. I don't know. I don't want to question his, uh, his faith. But you want to know who one of his biggest max contributors is? Pfizer. Pharmaceuticals. Of course. Pfizer, Moderna, lots of different big pharma company my thing is that we just i think the world in general i don't think human beings are designed to be like aware of things that are way outside of their own community and i think that's why there's so much distress and anxiety in our country because we're so aware of things that are not directly in our own community i think we're kind of designed to be more community-based and in my opinion, like as someone who doesn't know every single thing about politics, I think we need to start shifting towards a more community-minded um, mindset for who, who's yeah. elected and who's in power. So, like, why does someone who represents part of North Carolina, what what does a pharmaceutical company have to do with exactly. that? You know, rural North Carolina. Then that pharmaceutical company has zero production facilities in his district there is one just outside of his district um but not in his district it has nothing to do with anything that that his job would would require uh representing the people of north carolina's third district and and again right i'm 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 obviously better educated on 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 that representative but i challenge people look up your representative look who donates to them and like I said, the easiest way to look at it is this awesome website called OpenSecrets.org. And it covers not just political uh, campaigns, but also like nonprofits. Mm -hmm. uh, I was telling somebody the other day, like, if you want to know, right, to a Second Amendment supporters, right, 
Um, there are organizations out there that are lobbying and working hard to protect our rights, like GOA, FPC, these organizations, right? Um, they hopefully one day will completely replace the NRA and their BS. But either way, if you want to know if a company, like a, a gun company, uh, you want to buy a whatever rifle, and you're like, hmm, I wonder if that gun company actually supports my Second Amendment rights. Does any of my money that I give to them, do they donate to any of these organizations? You can go on opensecrets.org and look it up. Um, I'll use the example of Daniel Defense, big government contractor, special operations, you know, guns and stuff like that. Daniel's a big company. Um, and <clears throat> their, I think, CEO, not certain, don't quote me on that. Someone high up in, in Daniel a year or so ago, made a comment, something about how they won against something the ATF was doing and the ripples through the Second Amendment um, bunch. I don't want to call them a community because they're not. Um, all the Second Amendment people were like, oh, you know, to hell with Daniel Defense, man. They're not for our rights. They're for government contacts, et cetera, et cetera. However, if you go to donor lookup in OpenSecrets.org, one of the first, and you type in Daniel Defense, the first thing you'll see is a $100,000 donation to GOA, Gun Owners of America. So while their CEO may have said something to maybe appease the ATF or something like that, and I don't know the whole story, I'm not defending him or Daniel Defense in any way. I'm just saying, if you want to know if your favorite company or your most disliked company donates to these organizations that support things you care about it's all on opensecrets.org and why the average american doesn't know what that website is i don't know but it should be something we all know about you know yeah for sure it's a mess it's a mess man um like i said i challenge folks man Go, look up your representative your congressperson and just yeah. see what exactly what they're posting about and you'll see what they're working on Right. If they're posting every day on Instagram, um, you know, about Hamas and about this and that world things, dude, that's not their scope. Right. They need to be looking inward. Their job is their district. So exactly. if your congressperson is focused on things that are happening around the globe, they're not doing their job. It's not their job. And they would argue with me the, the opposite. I'm like, show me in the Constitution where you are authorized freaking any input into foreign policy show it to me it's not in the constitution and here's the effed up thing i would be willing to bet of the almost 300 representatives on capitol hill maybe two of them ever read the constitution start to finish and it's a five minute read <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> okay so you ran yeah. for congress in 2022 Seems like they uh, they got the big money to kind of push out the community based guy, uh, so they pushed you out. It sounds like. Yeah, I mean, also there was other factors. <clears throat> Our districts got changed. I initially was running in a district with no incumbent, and that's kind of funny because I had support from other Republican um, congressmen and women. Uh, Dan Crenshaw. All about supporting me. Um, Colonel Walsh, Representative Walsh out of Florida, another one. They're all for supporting me. There was these veteran organizations that were going to raise money for me, blah, blah, blah. When those districts got switched, all that support went away just like that because Greg Murphy, 
is a Republican, right? He's already an incumbent. These guys, no matter if they think you're better than that guy, are never going to support you against them because he's already there. He's the incumbent. He is has the, at the time, the ominous dominus blessings of uh, McCarthy, you know? Got it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, there was, you know, more variables to the story than just that. But yeah. you know, um, we knew once the district switched and I was challenging him that the, the chances of beating him were zero. Wow. We knew that. So we changed our strategy. Um, my um, consultant, who was recommended to me by a, gr- a dear friend who had known this consultant 10 years earlier on another campaign. During that 10 years, something happened to this consultant. He went from being supposedly this awesome, great guy to just this absolute dirtbag. Um, I think alcohol probably had something to do with that, but I couldn't trust him to ever be on time, to ever really tell me the truth, right? I I never felt like he was telling me the truth. Um, And and he's supposed to be my right-hand man, you know, my expert, my consultant. And uh, so when it came time to switch out districts and I said, okay, I started looking at Representative Murphy and his voting record. And I was like, what the, you know, this dude is not voting like a Republican. And he had been a state representative. So I started looking at his state stuff, bro. Not a Republican, not a conservative voter by any measure, right? Like in most cases, many, many cases, maybe not most, but many, many cases, very moderate and Democrat or liberal voting record. Okay. Um, not a not a gun guy, not a constitutionalist, right? Um, a wealthy elitist, right? So, so I'm I'm curious. I, I apologize for cutting you off. This is yeah. this might be another pivot, but I'm very curious your opinion on this because I know that you worked with some plant medicines after your congressional run. Do you think more people who are in politics and more people who are in power should try plant medicine? Um, and, but that would obviously go, you know, for everyone, uh, you know, that was one of the conversations I had with one, one of the, um, uh, staff down with Ambio Life Sciences in, in Mexico, um, Trevor Millar's group, um, one of the, one of the, um, therapists there, amazing, amazing woman. Um, we were having that conversation and, and I was like, wow, could you imagine if 80% of human beings tried this? Like we'd have world peace, <laughs> you know, like we, we would, ah, man, it just, it does, man. For me, what, what, um, plant medicine and in my case, Ibogaine and, um, 5-MeO DMT. And it really allowed me to put in perspective what's important for me, right? What's important for me and therefore mine, me and mine. Um, I think if politicians rogered up, uh, I think that perspective, I, you know what? I don't know. I think when you have the nature of a, uh, of a sinister, slimy little scumbag, I don't know what plant-based medicine would do to that human being. I don't know. They, they might have Everyone a rough, wants- they might have a rough night. <laughs> Yeah, um, I began definitely turns you inside out, lets you learn a lot about yourself. I don't know, man. That would be interesting. That would be actually like let's go find the most biggest dirtbag 
crappy ass politician. Like, who's the dude up in was it Jersey who just got arrested for all the money and stuff? Um, yeah, I heard about that. He was taking like gold guy. bars or something. Yeah, yeah, they were paying him in gold bars and Mercedes Benz and <laughs> uh, yeah, so, such a sham, man. Like, I, I really feel like it, maybe instead of um, having every politician on Capitol Hill do uh, uh, have a run with plant medicine, maybe we would be better off assigning a single FBI agent to each of them. <laughs> Just have everything they do investigated. But um, yeah, man, I don't know. That would be interesting because you know my experience with, with plant-based medicines and the guys and gals that I know who have done it, they were all pretty much good people, but struggling with yeah. mental health uh, and physical health. Um, did you I go with know. like a... Did you go with yeah. like a veterans retreat group? Yeah. So there were um, myself, two former SEALs, and a former Coast Guard, um, a, a female that had been in the Coast Guard. Funny, right? We say the universe doesn't doesn't do coincidence. One of the SEALs I had known uh, 10, almost 12 years prior um, from my gym. I own, I own a gym in, in Wilmington, North Carolina um, for – almost 10 years. And while he lived in Wilmington, he, he came to that gym, right? Like, Oh, Hey, there's a green beret down the road that owns a gym. Right. So says, Hey, I'm gonna go over there and work out at that gym. Makes sense. Uh, so I had known him and whatever happened, he moved on and I hadn't seen, talked to him, heard of him since. Um, uh, and we're standing there. They, they pick you up in San Diego. And of course the drive across the border, and we're standing out in front of the hotel that morning and we kind of look at each other. Obviously we're both 10 years older and uh, he, he's got way more gray than, than he had back then. I don't think he had any back then. He's a little grayed up or whatever. He's almost, he's still almost 10 years younger than me. Um, so we were just kind of eyeballing each other. No big deal. Hop in the van and the little minivan and we're heading down there and he's sitting in the front seat. He finally turns around and looks at me. He's like, you don't recognize me, do you? And as soon as he turned around and looked at me and said that, I was like, holy shit, bro. <laughs> you know? Um, so that was really cool just in and of itself um, that that it was someone I knew that, that showed up there. And it actually turned him being there became a very beneficial thing for me. And also me being there he said it benefited him greatly as well. Um, and yeah, so maybe this is, is a good time to pivot, man. We, we can certainly talk about this more in depth um, and, and the benefits I gained from it. Um, I'll tell you, it's probably important, you know, like why did I make that decision? Right. Earlier I had just said that purposefully I had stayed out. I, I wouldn't let my brain even be inquisitive about plant medicine. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I was still, potentially looking at, you know, working contracting, I would have to, you know, take a polygraph, a urinalysis, that sort of stuff. So, you know, uh, weed wasn't on the table for me. Um, psychedelics, right. That just, that, that was, a whole, Oh my God. Right. A, a special operations guy. I can't mess with, uh, mind altering psychedelics. Right. But I was very ignorant then. Um, after about a month after the, um, the election was over, you know, as whatever, man, I literally just turned off politics and went back to my life. Uh, I was like, you know what? Great experience. Met a lot of awesome people. Not for me, mostly not for me because America's just not ready. 
right? The average American is still worried about taking their little Susie to soccer practice than getting involved and, and helping fix our nation. So I'm not stepping out of politi politics because I'm like, oh, I, I fucking lost. For someone like me to win, our assessment, our analysis is that, A, I need $1.2 million. And to get that, I would have to get true backing from some 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 type of organization and their affiliates, right? So that's my assessment, is that until the regular American stops worrying about minding their own business, right? Because that's the conservative thing. I just want to mind my own business. Well, while you're minding your own business, the business that actually affects your business is being minded by people who do not like you, who people who hate you in many cases. So my point to all that is until America is ready, and what scares me is for the average good American man, woman, husband, wife, you know, father, mother, for them to get involved, to be motivated to get involved in the political BS that is that has become America, things are going to have to get worse. Mm. It, it came close, right? Man, when they were pushing all that COVID stuff on people's kids and, and all that, people were getting pissed, and they realized it, and they pulled back. They were like, ooh, man, we really overstepped when we started messing with people's kids. So they pulled back on that part of the liberal experiment. Point being is, man, for me to move forward, to ever expose myself and my girlfriend, my, my girlfriend might as well be my wife. Hell, people call her my wife, and I don't even correct them. We've been together for 13 years. She's an amazing, amazing person. Like, I always tell people her story is way cooler than mine. Like, she is an American success story. She is the American story. Uh, she's the American dream, right? Like, super poor crappy abusive dad mother from japan doesn't speak english right becomes a dentist all on her own i mean just an amazing woman long story short she's also um relatively private right like she wants to come home and not be exposed to the world so the whole running for congress thing was rough on her she's also very protective of me right like if you talk shit about me in her presence you're going to get both barrels, <laughs> you know, uh, you might get shanked. Um, Amazing. Yeah. She's, she's a badass American woman, man. Um, a conservative believer of God. I mean, just, and it's just an amazingly good human being, but because she grew up a little on the rough side, right? Like I said, shithead, abusive, drunk dad. Um, she's got a tough side too, man. <laughs> It's all well and good until it's directed at me. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I always tell her, I'm like, man, I love it so much. Your energy and everything is so awesome until your barrels are facing inward, um, which is, you know, always no fault of my own, of course. Um, no, she, uh, it was rough on her, bro. Uh, yeah. running, running was rough on her. I was gone. I would leave the house six, seven in the morning, get home at midnight. Um, it was rough. It was rough on her. We spent a lot of our own money, um, you know. Uh, so anyway, I, I don't want to expose her to something like that again until America's ready. You know what I mean? It's it's not me being – maybe I am being selfish, or maybe I'm just protecting me and mine, but I'm not going to expose her 
and myself to that again until we're more certain of a win, more certain of being able to raise that needed and necessary campaign money. Uh, we did great, man. Holy crap. Like people around the nation, our average donor donated $50 and we raised almost 300,000. Wow. Right. I didn't have big money from packs and shit like that. Um, the, uh, the club for growth. I sat down and chatted with them. They're a open markets, you know, truly capitalist, uh, organization. <clears throat> and, um, they told me, they're like, we would love to support you against Greg Murphy, right? Like he does not support any of the stuff we do. Capitalism, conservatism, right? He's like, it's not what he does. But they were like, we're so close to your election, you would be a bad investment, right? Like they weren't going to give me a million dollars. They could. They could have written me a $5 million check if they wanted to. Um, but they were basically like, hey, man it would be a waste of our money. And I said, thank you for your time. I understand, right? I don't want you to waste your money any more than, than, than I am. I would rather them take that money and give it to another candidate somewhere else that actually can win the good fight, right? Sure. So my whole point was, man, once we went after Greg, was just, let's test him, you know? Let's see if we can put him on his heels. And, you know, being a, a you know, kind of a, an egotistical person, uh, we made him act like an asshole. You know, he didn't like being challenged. He, he, you know, regards himself as very intelligent. And, you know, so like when I would challenge him, you know, say, Hey, we got a debate coming up. You're not going to be there. I mean, I'm just, I'm just a dumb knuckle dragger. You should be able to make me look stupid. Right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so anyway, that never happened. That's, that's where I'm at in politics. Right. Okay. So that, that's kind of the segue. Okay. Plant medicine. Uh, the, the, Election ended, right? Didn't win. Just like I said, man, I was ready to pivot, switch, get right back to my life. And I did immediately. And then I was doing something, man, working out harder because during the campaign, I didn't work out. Lord, it's the first time in my life. Like, it's like, man, getting a little, a little thick around the midsection, eating, eating junk food and running crazy hours and not, not hitting the gym like I was supposed to. Uh, so I immediately went right back to the gym and I have an old neck injury. And I fired it up, man. And and my TBI, it, when I got I got blown up, pretty good, and um, spent some days in a coma or whatever. Bad TBI, neck injury, uh, nerve damage, and left side, et cetera, et cetera. But I went back to the gym and hit it hard. Well, on the way back from the gym one afternoon, my head just started hurting, and I was like, "Holy crap!" I thought I was having a stroke. Oh wow! It was scary, and and I've had headaches since I got blown up. You know, I got blown up in 2009. Uh, I mean, I'd had a headache every day since, right? Like, and I just gotten used to it. You know, some days it was worse. Some days my neck would hurt more than others. You got some blown days... up in, in Afghanistan? Iraq, actually. Um, okay. Yeah, we got hit. We got hit with an, an EFP, explosively formed plate. Um, it's the, the poor man's anti-tank weapon. And it was made for... Um, uh, striker right the the striker tank it's like basically a big um, tank with wheels uh with rubber tires um you know great for urban environments and stuff like that uh, big big crazy tank thing right troop carrier tank um and uh they had made this explosive plate for that well we were in a bmw a sedan like an armored bulletproof sedan right not not <laughs> not a tank and it did man it, it uh sadly um killed the other three guys that were in the car with me and for whatever reason um 
damn it, I'm still here. Um, so anyway, that that injury had always plagued me um, with headaches. Like I said, uh, nerve damage. My left hand didn't always work. I'm left-handed. I had to switch to being a right-handed person. Um, Holy shit. You know, so, yeah, that was that's interesting. Actually very helpful, right? Like I told you earlier, my injuries have somehow always led to something good. So when I had to learn to shoot and do all kinds of things right-handed, I learned to teach shooting better because I relearned it as an adult. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it it gave me these, uh, like, because I had to learn to do it, I went through the process of learning. So it helped me, uh, like, I learned how to learn, <laughs> you know, or how to teach people to do it better because I had to go through the process myself as an adult. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of cool. I mean, that was a benefit, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so long story short, man, I, man, this headache shut me down. Um, I pulled off the side of the road, threw up. Like I said, I thought I was having a stroke man. my whole face and head and stuff was like crazy burning pain. I, I just, I don't know. It was bad stomach, all that stuff. Uh, nausea, with no real explanation um, other than I had just gone and worked out and had been at the range. Um, so anyway, uh, got to the house, uh, went kind of like, you know, turned all the lights off. I was super light sensitive. Um, the sun. So, I mean, all of it, man, it just, all I wanted to do was crawl under the bed and hide. And it hurt so bad. And a couple of days, a couple of weeks actually went by of this and it was a roller coaster. And um, Melissa came home one afternoon and I was basically under the bed, right? I had pulled the um, you know, blankets and stuff off onto the floor. The floor was cool. It felt nice and, and like was just trying to hide from the sunlight, the little bit of sunlight coming through the freaking blinds uh, or curtains. Um, and she came in, man, and I was begging God for help. Wow. He thought, because I don't even really remember being there. Right? Like I was out of it. I was hurt and um, and overwhelmed. And nothing would touch it, right? Like Tylenol, none of that. I, I think I'd, I'd, take some, I'd taken some Valium. I tried anything we had at our disposal. I had already tried. Well, when I looked up at her, man, the she thought I was begging her for help. And the look on her face, the helplessness, that I saw on her face that day. And she's not a helpless person. She is a go-getter, right? Like if I, you know, got hurt, she's going straight to, you know, first aid, like, and packaging up and getting me to the hospital, right? She's not an emotional, like, oh my God, you know, like, you know what I mean? If I had a bad cut, she's putting a tourniquet on and we're going to the hospital, right? She's, she's you know, hard like that. And uh, this look of helplessness that I saw on her face, I was like, oh my God. It, it, it broke my heart and I was like, okay, we got to do something. And um, so she had talked to some of our friends and uh, one of our friends wives was like, you know what? Um, Bobby's going to the, um, uh, the high pressure oxygen chamber up in Durham from this organization, HBOT, right? Um, HBOT for vets and HBOT is, like I said, the, the dive chamber. 
pressure chamber, full oxygen therapy. So it takes that pressure, pushes the oxygen into your tissues, right? Is that like uh, a hyperbaric chamber? Exactly, hyperbaric chamber, Hi, uh, hyperbaric uh, oxygen therapy, uh, HBOT, right? Yeah. And um, and, and it, it, it helps with different things. Um, you know, I, I think it helps with healing quite a bit after surgeries, all that, all that is well-documented, right? Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, all it is, is high pressure pushes oxygen, pure oxygen into your system. And a lot of folks don't realize this. It's the opposite. Like when we talk about altitude, there's no oxygen at altitude. That's not really true. There, of course, there is less oxygen, but it's, it's less oxygen. Uh, there's less pressure, partial pressure. I think it's yeah. boiled all uh, that pushes the oxygen in your tissues. So the higher in altitude you go, the less saturated your body is with oxygen. Well, when you go underneath water or in a dive chamber, pressure is added, so it forces this oxygen in your tissues. Yeah, I've, uh, I've seen like someone go in there and like when they turn it on, they're holding a bottle to show us, like a plastic bottle to show us, yeah. and the bottle crunches down. So yeah. it's just pressing all that oxygen into your into your body that's right um you, you folks have seen it on a lesser scale like if you have a bottle of water and you're, you're on an airplane most airlines are pressurized to seven thousand feet or so um so it loses a lot of pressure and then as you're landing you, know, you feel your ears tighten up valsalva and that bottle of water you were drinking at seven thousand feet interior as you land it crunches right same deal yeah. Uh, so yeah, man, I, I was doing the HBOT therapy and I was seeing a little bit, I went to, you know, but went back to the chiropractor to see if it wasn't coming from my neck. Um, the headaches went away. I'll tell you this, man. Um, so I'll back up a little bit. I, uh, um, that I think it was the next day after Melissa came in, I was still hurting really bad. Uh, she, she calls me and I'm just like, baby, I, I'm still all effed up, blah, blah, blah. She calls my next door neighbor, right? Who is at the time, I think he was 24, maybe he was 25 years old, um, farmer, right? He's just a good old redneck boy. Loves Miss Melissa, you know, uh, loves Melissa freaking. She calls him and says, hey, man, Tony is effed up. I need you to go over there, get him, put him in your truck and take him to the hospital. And he's like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am. And he goes, but what if he doesn't want to come? She said, Gavin, his name's Gavin, I said, put him in your truck and take him to the hospital. I don't want to hear any other excuses. He's like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, man, I was so hurt. I didn't even argue. I got in a truck. He took me to the hospital in Wilmington. They gave me a migraine cocktail, right? It's like morphine, Reglan, the anti-nausea, uh, I think Tordal, an anti-inflammatory, and then maybe some prednisone. Anyway, they call it a migraine to cocktail. Right. And it didn't, it didn't do shit. Wow. Nothing. Nothing. Um, it did relax me. Uh, they gave me a CT scan, right? TBI doesn't show up very good on CT scans. They're like, well, you know, your head looks fine. You didn't have a stroke. Okay, cool. Well, that didn't really, you know, explain much. So anyway, um, very good friend of mine. Uh, I always laugh because in our community, this guy is kind of known as being like, you know, a little bit, a little bit wild. Um, good at the job. So fellow named Johnny Primo, um, former third group special forces guy. I knew him because a good friend of ours, um, uh, we, we didn't know each other at the time. A good friend of ours was killed and we met via that fellow's death. 
and became very good friends, um, brothers out of it. So through this whole thing, right, I started this H-Bot therapy. I, I, I talked to Johnny, and he's like, hey, I'm going to Mexico to do this Ibogaine. And I'm like, you're doing what? Like, what kind of weird hippie bullshit is this? <laughs> you know, what have you gotten yourself into, crazy boy? And uh, he's like, no, it's this, it's this plant medicine, and, and it's 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 like psilocybin or mushrooms, only way way more intense. And, and at the time, he had already done microdosing with psilocybin, psilocybin retreat. Um, I can't remember if he had done ayahuasca or not, but he had. I know he had already done like five meo um the other stuff that's a little easier to um source in the united states uh -huh. he had done lots of those retreats and um uh, still had not really found his solace you know his peace uh his story won't tell it man he had a really rough childhood like exceptionally rough for a young boy um so childhood trauma i, I really think childhood trauma is worse on a human being in that it's happening or happened before or during genetic expression as we become a true human being, an adult human being. Yeah. So it becomes more ingrained or just really like part of the psyche. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, some of us who our traumas, you know, our bad experiences um, in life happen as adults. I really think that type of trauma is easier to overcome because it's not really part of my psyche. You know what I mean? It's, it wasn't, it didn't happen while I was becoming a man. It happened afterwards. Yeah. I, and, and that's my assessment, right? Clearly I'm not a mental health professional. It's just observation. Um, talking to folks like Johnny, talking to folks like Melissa. I really, I, I have a special place in my heart for people who experience childhood, um, traumas, bad experiences, abuse, whatever you want to call it, um, or whatever the mechanism was, right? Because it could be abuse from a father. It could be abuse from a neighbor. It could have been a car accident where you saw your mom freak out. You know what I mean? Right. Right. You weren't even hurt, right? PTSD comes in so many different forms. But as a child, I think that's a big deal. Long story short, man, freaking uh, Johnny had a bad childhood. Found a place in special forces where... I mean, let's face it, the war's going on an outlet for all and everything that he was, you know, um, the war fit him being a warrior fit him. If that makes sense. Um, he's a stud. Everyone knows he's, you know, in the community, he's a, he's a stud, but he's also kind of well known for, if he drinks a little bit, he might get mean. Right. Mm -hmm. And he was drinking a lot, like a lot, a lot. So, um, he tells me he's going down to do this Ibogaine thing, and I'm still kind of having this headache and stuff. And I'm like, all right, man, well, good luck with whatever the hell that is, <laughs> you know? And our conversations are always very short. And if anybody is listening to this knows Johnny, Johnny will call you and go fully automatic for like seven minutes and then go, okay, dude, love you, bye, click. And you're like exhausted. <laughs> you're tired. <laughs> you know, from talking to him. I think everybody knows someone like that. But that's kind of how Johnny was. That's how he was. So, week, 10 days, whatever goes by. And I hadn't heard from him. I'm like, man, he was supposed to be back from Mexico last week. What the fuck? You know? So, I text him, hey, bro. He's like, uh, yeah, man, I'll call you in a few. I was on the way home from the gym when he called. And I wound up sitting in my driveway in the truck. 
because I didn't want to lose the Bluetooth connection and somehow drop his call. I didn't want to interrupt him. He talked about his experience in Mexico um, with Trevor and those folks doing Ibogaine and 5-MeO. He talked for two hours and 41 minutes. Wow. And I listened. I listened. And I mean, in detail, from the food that they served down there, which was amazing, to just the whole experience, to what he saw on Ibogaine, his guide that guided him through that journey. Um, a lot of people have guides. I had one. Um, and, and, and to the audience, I mean, I literally, through the, the vision, the hallucinations, uh, had a figure, in my case, Johnny had a person, I had a figure that was human-like, guide me through like your journey. spirit like your spirit guide almost yeah yeah in, in my case i i believe it to be you know an angel um at first he did not look like an angel <laughs> he, he scared the shit out of me to begin with um he matched more like we might would describe a demon um not evil looking just at first startling to me um very physical very uh, a presence uh about him and I say him, uh, he had a, a, a very physical um, man figure, right? Anyway, and, and I'll, I'll back up a little bit, right? Freaking starting to get a little head on, on the whole vision thing. But yeah, man, Johnny tells me about his experience. And he's like, I know it sounds crazy. And I'm like, Johnny, everything you fucking say is sounds crazy. Um, you can you can describe your cup of coffee in the morning. It'll sound crazy because everything you do is crazy. Um, and he goes, well, yeah, I was like, Hey man, I, I, I got one question. Cause he goes, yeah. And the fucked up thing, dude, my headache from my TBI is gone. And I went, wait, what would wow. you just say? And I was like, I got one question. How do I go? How do I get there? Right. I don't care about all that other stuff. I don't give a shit about mental health. I've got most of that together in, in my world. At least I have a way of, you know, my way of managing it. I, 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 I have never suffered from PTSD, and, and those words are important. Suffered from PTSD. Do I have it? Of course. But it didn't mess with my daily life. I've not had one full day of my life where PTSD ruined my day. Right? I, I, I've never been depressed. I get up in the morning and I go do stuff. I have I If I have a lack of purpose, which I think is the true cause of veteran suicide or suicide in general, lack of purpose. Yeah. If I wake up in the morning and I don't really have anything to do, I make it up. I find shit to do. I, people are like, dude, you're always so busy. That's probably how I cope. Right. I stay busy. Yeah. Um, but then again, it might be a genetic thing, man. Like I said, my dad worked sun up, sun down uh, and more than that. So, and like I said, so maybe it's a two part, you know, and it's there's physical. I'm guessing there's a lot of physical activity involved in that. And I, I, my opinion is that helps a lot. Getting moving, getting your body moving, getting outside, getting outside. some sunlight. Absolutely, bro. There is no doubt in my mind, right? Like, um, my computer, my workspace is on my front front porch. I just oh, nice. on Saturday <laughs> built a uh, basically a, a, a swing. A queen size swing, four chains, right? Just a platform, a little thing, raise it up and put a TV out on the front porch. So like in the evenings when it is time for me to settle down and turn my brain off, 
I'll watch something stupid on TV, a documentary. Uh, I've been watching a lot of Kings and Generals uh, history on uh, YouTube. So I call it bubble gum for the brain, right? If I don't have something, some type of input to distract me from my thoughts, my thoughts will keep me up at night. I won't, I have a hard time settling down to go to sleep just because I've got things to do, you know, right. plans, thoughts. And uh, that's just my way. And I'll tell you, man, one of the best things I did because I would stay up late. I'd work till one, two in the morning. I'm more of a night owl. Last year, I actually gave myself a bedtime for the first time in my life. And it's one of the best decisions. This is a sidebar, obviously. One of the best things I've ever done for myself was it's bedtime at 10 o'clock. These days, I am usually asleep by 9.30 now. And that, that's another thing, too, is getting good sleep. Moving your body Absolutely. and getting good sleep is like yeah. such good medicine. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, let's face it. You know, we, we use the word nutrition and diet to describe uh, the foods we eat. Uh, a lot of times we leave out in nutrition and diet. We don't want to consider alcohol, right? Alcohol is poison. Most of the foods we consume these days are laden with poisons, right? We are the first, the absolutely, this is an absolute statement. We are the first culture, society, nation, world to knowingly and willfully poison our children. Yeah. With all the you know, fake sugars sugar. and bullshit yeah. that's in the food. These crazy seed oils like you know, canola oil. Canola oil is literally made with neurotoxins and known carcinogens. The FDA was designed to help protect us. But now all the FDA does is facilitate companies and their products, right? With no regard for our true health. Why? Because the people who are working there don't care about health. They're not into it. The average American does not give a shit about their physical health. They do care about furthering their own interests, monies, and banks accounts, right? Lobbying. And um, so, yeah, it's nasty, man. So, you know, you've got all these different sources, right, of bad nutrition, poison, right? Um, like energy drinks, man. If you look at the label of a monster rain bang any of those drinks like vitamin b 230 percent of your daily intake vitamin b but what they're not showing you there is it's not a real vitamin b it's a synthetic vitamin b that your body can't process and it's poisonous at those dosage one can a day most people i know that drink energy drinks drink more than one a day I, I think you just covered three super important things that I want the audience to really retain. If you're, if you're sticking with us this far, thank you, but you can instantly make yourself feel better if you're having any mental health or physical health issues by moving your body, getting good sleep and not consuming like sugar, fructose, corn, bullshit, processed foods. Sorry, I'm not a scientist, so that wasn't particularly scientific explanation, but like just eating real food, like fruits and vegetables and whole foods and yeah. meat is okay too, it's fine. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, eating eating real food and knowing what you're putting in your body and moving your body and getting good, great sleep. Those three things, if you can gradually make those changes, they will make you begin to feel better almost it's as soon as you make the change yeah it's not a coincidence not this like i said i don't think it is it but it is not it is it is not a coincidence 
that everyone you know that stopped drinking alcohol doesn't complain about being sober. Everyone you know who eats healthy, they don't complain about feeling healthy. You know what I mean? Folks you know who sleep well, they don't, you're never going to hear anybody say, man, I got eight hours of solid sleep last night. I feel like shit. <laughs> what? Never going to hear yeah. it. Doesn't, it's not a thing. Yeah. So yeah, if you can address that, but also, you know, the, the inundation of negative information that we're getting from our handheld devices, it Another is not a diet. Yeah, absolutely. It's our intake. So I I've started adding that to my, my whole thing, like stop watching corporate news, cut it out of your life. I went through my feed and I still find one pop up every now and then that's political stuff, whether it was like Dan Crenshaw's social media page or like DC Drano or any of these very political, especially the Trump supporting world. I'm not, I don't believe, I don't, I think of the roster, Trump's probably the worst or the best of the worst we have running, but like, I don't worship that dude. Right. There's no man on this planet I worship. And, and there are a lot of weird people that worship. Like, I think it's weird to worship Donald Trump. I don't think he's going to save. He's not the savior. I, I think know. It's, I think it's weird to worship anyone in government at all. Absolutely. The government is not here to save us. No. And, and to think Donald Trump is somehow the guy who's going to lead us out of this, this, this mess. I, I don't, I don't, I, well, we already have four years to show that that's not true. But I, I, I do think you just covered a fourth thing that I really appreciate you saying. And I've said this probably on the last three episodes is that I, I cut news out of my personal diet and people maybe think I'm crazy for saying this, but I don't believe that our nervous systems were designed to no, take in so much negative information that's not even directly from our community. Yeah. Yeah. It is insane. So I tell folks all the time, like, go through your feed. And if you're following all that mess, unfollow it. Um, go to your search in Instagram and type in puppy. Right. And then go through and like, I don't know, hunting uh you know nature follow follow elk hunting uh you know follow uh you know uh, the hashtag deer hunting whatever you're into that interests you in a positive way follow that hashtag and that's what your feed will get inundated with and you know hell i had to unfollow a good friend of mine yesterday because his feed is nothing but um crime around the united states hey i know chicago sucks ass I know LA sucks ass, right? It's why I don't live there. <laughs> you know, the crime rate in Harold's, North Carolina is, is zero, right? Like, I don't have to carry concealed around here because none of these other good old country boys and rednecks are going to cause any problems, you know? And it's not yeah. like the fucking thugs and gangsters in Wilmington or Raleigh are coming out here to do business, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think we're, I don't yeah. think we're designed to see like oh. these big issues that are taking place in communities that we're not even a part of I think oh, it's man. super unhealthy and uh and, but yeah you can yeah. you can hack the algorithm and show you beautiful nature scenes exactly. and, and stuff like right. that and, and that's called being in control of your life you know i yeah. can control sensor if you want to use that word i can control what i look at on this phone i can control what i put in my mouth right um I can control so many different things of my life, right? Um, and if I'm not, I'm being irresponsible. Uh, it, at this point in my life, like I said, I I have withdrawn. I, I had a much bigger group 
right? You know, we all hear that, you know, you know, you're, you're the sum of the, you know, people, five people closest to you or some shit like that, all that yeah. stuff. It, it has some warrant to it. I have shrunk my sphere uh, quite a bit. And really, like I said, I began to help me so much uh, to realize what is truly important. Um, I have many times in my life uh, overextended myself trying to help uh, folks. So instead, I said, hey, instead of quantity, I want to do quality. Yeah. Uh, so that's just where I'm at in life. Um, but yeah, man, it's it's like I said, our diet. Uh, yeah. When I when I sit down and, and, and I do, man, I, I have guys off of social media sometimes who are like, hey, man. I just got out of the military. I'm getting out of the military. I can really stand to talk to somebody, man. Freaking just, you know, you've been there, done that. Can you, can you take a minute and chat with me? I'm like, yeah, man, absolutely. Give me a call. Uh, and I'm like, Hey man, these are the things you have to do to be healthy. Right. Because you're getting ready to go from comfortable, right? We get comfortable in the military. Um, you get paid on the first and the 15th, just like welfare. Um, (laughs) right. I always joke the military is just socialism, in, in in uniform uh and uh we literally get paid on the same day as welfare recipients right uh but you're getting ready to be inundated with all these things and stuff that it is not going to be comfortable to you it's not going to be familiar to you right so it's going to be stressful right that allesthetic load that combined load of stress on our bodies physically spiritually uh you know mentally all that stuff going to weight you down so if your body is not healthy, your mind is not healthy, and you're not doing healthy things, well, then it's unhealthy, right? It, it can't be anything else. If it's not healthy, it has to be unhealthy, right? Yeah. yeah. That's 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 deduction. Uh, and that's what I talked to him about, man. And I, I try to put out on social media here and there, you know, as much as I can. I, I, I post videos of me hitting the gym just – and guys tell me all the time. They're like, hey, man, you know what? you inspired me to go to the gym i'm like cool it's worth it right i can videotape a couple of sets <laughs> in the gym and throw it up on the uh instas or whatever and if that motivates some young man to hit the gym or get into running or just be healthy then then it's worth my while and i also want to add um just say thank you for taking those guys call when when someone reaches out and being there to say hey i'm here and here's what i do and it's you know watch my diet work out get good sleep don't take yeah. too much news, but yeah, thank you for. I try, man. I I try to answer all my DMs. Uh, I used to be able to, and then my my page grew a little bit, and so now it's kind of random. Like you know, if I get it 20, 30 minutes a day to answer a few DMs, I'll just randomly pick them and answer them. So I don't get to. I I always I'm fearful that I'm missing that I might miss that one guy that really needed my help. Uh, it's it's a weird fear, I guess you know. So every now and then I try to put out one social like hey guys more dms than i used to get can't answer them all if you really need me email me you know yes. something yeah like that. i try man because I, I do if, if some young man or woman needs to talk to somebody i want to be available you know um it's amazing you know yeah. I, shit you know it, it's like i've been lucky enough throughout my career to have uh, my life not just my career right to have people that i could reach out to um and and they helped me uh luckily for me it was like my dad my uncle a couple other leader type dudes in the military so you know if a guy doesn't have that he's reaching out to some dude he don't fucking know on social media clearly he needs it so i try i do try i do want to get into the iboga and the 5meo but i want to check 
are you, how are you doing on time? I just want to be mindful. Cause, cause oh, I'm, I'm, I'm good, brother. I know hell we're already into it. Uh, geez, holy crap. <laughs> we're at two hours. Good shit. I just um, wanted to make sure that I want to be mindful yeah. that if you, if that, you know, make sure you're good to go. <laughs> yep. I do want to, uh, uh, use the restroom real quick. I'm going to do the same. I'll be right back. Thank you for checking out part one of this episode with Tony Cowden. We will be back next week with part two to dive into his story of working with Ibogaine and 5-MeO-DMT and more.